0: Yeah, I can get behind it. For the love of money, Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640.
1: Wakey, wakey, Toronto, Canada. Good morning. Hi Fi Radio, AM 640. Jack Hartle, gracious enough to join us this morning in the studio once again. Uh, Jack built a very good show for us this, this week, I must say. He worked very, very hard lining up a roster of guests. Yes, members of his old hockey team are here. Uh, But, of course, when we think hockey, we also think Brad Lamb, uh, Canadian real estate mogul. Also joining us, Uh, lots to talk about there as the government continues to put additional controls on your purchasing power. We are then going to go down to the New York Stock Exchange and speak to Tommy Turner, a floor broker. Boy, has life changed for Tommy. Uh, And finally, Micah Bellamy is going to tell you exactly how much money you should have saved at your current age. Very, very important stuff. Make sure you... Save a little bit each and every week. So, anyways, without further ado, Brad Lamb, J Child, in the house to talk real estate. Guys, thank you very much for joining us this morning.
2: Well, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So, uh, why don't we speak? Why don't we begin with uh, the the news of the week? Uh, OSFI, the officer superintendent of financial institution, wants to make it a little bit more challenging for people to borrow money. Uh, previously, uh, you know, if you had about hundred grand, you could borrow seven hundred. In terms of hundred grand of income, with a 20% down, you could borrow $700,000. Uh, they are going to basically do a stress test and see if you can handle higher interest rates, which basically ultimately results in you being able to borrow about $150,000 less. Guys, how do you feel about that?
2: Uh, well, I guess I can start. Uh, it's a terrible, it's a horrendous idea. I think it's a country killer. It, what are we saying to our citizens? That uh, we want you to be tenants for the rest of your life? It's, it's, it's a very, very bad idea. Treats consumers like children. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm going to say and do everything I can to have this uh, changed.
1: Hmm. The debt levels in Canada obviously are concerning. They're at historic highs. Debt to income is at 165%, the same level it was Brad and Jay uh, prior to the uh, real estate crack in America. However, debt is very serviceable. Um, that said, they're concerned. The, the The pivot has occurred, right, Jack? Uh, the pivot in interest rates has occurred. Uh, rates are now going to start to rise up. Well, uh, I would
3: say they have effectively raised rates for borrowing. They've restricted your borrowing capacity based on rates rising. Uh, 200 basis points, and they haven't done that yet. So uh, the market should dictate. I think, you know, when rates rise and and the government should follow. They shouldn't put in undue constraints on consumers. I think that's what Brad is saying here.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I want to. You know, I hear this 100. And, well, it was 160, Now it's 165 percent of of debt versus income. That that is that is a, a stupid statistic to to look at because you know the e- economists try to put everything in a box. Every country, every city, every consumer in a box. So listen, if if a consumer in in, in Canada, in Toronto, uh, has a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage, and makes one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, they have a two hundred percent debt ratio just on their mortgage. That's a very very easy uh, uh, amount of debt to service. Um, and and if if so if so if another consumer has a credit card and a car debt and a student debt of eighty thousand dollars, and their income is the same, you know the the idiot economists are saying that's fantastic you're under the 165 threshold but there's no allowance for the guy's living costs of rent nothing and so this is this is an unfair statistic that penalizes people that borrow money to buy homes what they need to do is they need to take that out of the statistic it's not fair or or add rent to the other uh Consumer statistic to get a proper balance, but if you have a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage and you make one hundred fifty thousand dollars, you're a smart guy. That's that's great. That's that's not a problem. But the government's saying it is. And I'll tell you something else. In Berlin, ninety percent of people in Berlin rent. Mm-hmm. Do we want to have a country where people have less debt per income and they're all tenants, right? That's just making the rich richer. You know, it's funny, Brad, because I got some facts
1: here from, from RBC. Household net worth uh, has dipped slightly, but it still stands at 10 and a million. Half- trillion dollars in Canada. It's, it's over 100 trillion in Americans. It's very, very important because it's all, bar- all part of the wealth effect. But house- So household assets have grown to 12 trillion, giving you a delta of 2 trillion, which is debt. The problem with the debt we have is 34% of it, or $700 billion, basically sits on credit cards. And those folks, as you know, are paying about 20 points to Visa and MasterCard, stocks that Jack and I have been looking at yeah. a long time. So, so penalize,
2: penalize those people. Penalize people who are boring money stupidly. Don't penalize households who are borrowing money at a low rate to buy a home. Whether you rent, if you don't pay your rent, you get kicked out. If you don't pay your mortgage, you get kicked out. I don't see the difference. If the payments are roughly the same, what's the difference and why are we penalizing consumers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sense? market's
3: already penalizing them. They're, they're charging them 20%. So if they're foolish enough to to run a credit balance i think the market uh you know what i mean they the the market's pushing them out of the or it should be pushing them out of that lending but it's not and uh people should you know relook at i guess how they allocate their assets and where they lend from because you know visa is certainly not a a good thing to do and carrying a balance on your visa
1: Mm -hmm. all right guys look we got to pay the man uh so hang around i want to talk to you guys about the price of real estate in toronto vancouver and canada uh signs of softness and what this has done or will do to prices on a go forward basis hang around don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this.
4: Life would be sunny with plenty of
1: money you. You're listening to Hi Fi Radio from the AM 640 studios in Toronto.
0: For the love of money, Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk radio, AM 640.
1: Well, thank you for listening to Hi-Fi Radio AM640. Tribute, of course, to Gord Downey, Tragically Hip. As we play the high fidelity throughout our finance show, it'll be nothing but the Tragically Hip. Uh, Brad Lamb is in the studio, real estate mogul. You know, Brad, you've built yourself an incredible business uh, since, what, 1995, uh, a brokerage business and a development business. Uh, on, a, on a national scale, uh, you've sold, I think, in your career, your brokerage firm sold in your career, 22,000 condominiums. Uh, making you an expert in condominiums in our eyes. Welcome to the show.
2: You know, thank you, but it's actually closer to 28,000 now. I apologize. <laughs> so you
3: got to update your website you're, you're. then. <laughs> it's almost
2: 9 billion in real estate.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so you, you have, a, a, I think, a, a pretty good idea of prices uh, in the marketplace. Jack is telling me up in the 905 area where he lives, uh, he's seeing a softening of prices, eh, Jack? Well, 1.2 down to about 900?
3: Yeah, and I think a lot of that was with the government intervention back in the spring um, where they put some policy in place to to slow down uh, the housing market. And it was, I guess, effective in terms of slowing down the housing market, but um, you know, people up in the 905, I would say they've lost 20%. I was selling it, seeing please, places sell for $1.2 million in my neighborhood. Now they're down to maybe a million bucks. And I think that part of that is the insured mortgage side of things. Uh, the other part of that is, you know, uh, you know, the fact that uh, there's really unfriendly, obviously, housing policy coming out of Ontario government right now.
1: So, so Brad, I, I met your former uh, uh, boss, I guess I should say, Harry Stinson, when he was doing the candy factory lofts. I tried to sell him some advertising. I was never kicked out of a person's business quicker than that. Why <laughs> did he get rid of me quick, Harry. Uh, but regardless... Um, your, your brother was telling me a unit uh, is, in that building is now selling for a thousand bucks a foot. Uh, and it was built at about 150 bucks a foot, somewhat 15, 20 years
2: ago. Well, yeah, I, I sold that building actually because Harry Stinson lost the building uh, to the, the, the group called Metro Ontario that owned it. They owned the building and he kind of optioned it and tried to pull off uh, uh, the development. He lost it. It went, it went back to Metro Ontario Group and then they hired me to kind of fix the mess. Hmm. So there were 120 units, and we were selling 900-square-foot-one um, bedrooms for $159,969. Nine. Wow. And I bought one. Mm-hmm. And I sold it about a year and a half later for 270. Mm-hmm. thought that was fantastic. That apartment today uh, is selling for about uh, $750,000. And by the way, it, when it goes up for sale, there's 10 bids on it. Ten today, today. So,
1: so, so, what in terms of uh, square foot prices in in, in the Toronto area? Uh, what, what's it going for today if I were to buy myself a unit?
2: I, I would say that that uh, around a thousand a foot for a typical condo. Um, if you were in a building that wasn't really very good, you might be down around eight fifty. Mm-hmm. And a penthouse uh, in the south part of the city is going to be around thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Yorkville, wow. you'll be north of two thousand. Oh my!
1: Your brother mentioned there's a, there's a place in Manhattan, twenty five thousand bucks a foot. Uh, unbelievable. So now, now Jay, uh, we want you to pipe in here. Jay Child, of course, Jack's hard hockey buddy and uh, uh, real estate uh, mogul in his own right, uh, selling basically uh, rural property, um, acreage, in other words, right, Jay?
5: Yeah, we do downtown condo sites. We do uh, we do greenfield sites, which are few and far between. Um, but yeah, basically anywhere the GTA development community wants to go, that's where uh, we try to get there a little bit in advance.
1: So, in terms of acreage, if you were to find some acreage for our friend Brad here uh, in the core, what would that cost?
5: Well, we've got uh, we've got a site we just launched here, just off Spadina, in the core. It's a great area, Kensington Market area. Uh, it's point 0.1 acres, and it's uh, three million dollars. So point one three. But, I mean, Omg!
1: Sorry, so I was say an acre, b- thirty million buck an acre.
5: Sure, and when I you know
1: when and that's cheap. Yeah, yeah The yeah. place up at Young and Bloor, Brad, your brother mentioned that one to me right across from the Four Seasons,
2: uh, $300 million for the parcel of land? $300 million for uh, a million square feet, so $300 Maybe. per buildable foot of, uh, of residential.
1: But how much raw land was that? Was, was it an acre?
2: Uh, no, it wouldn't have been an acre. Not even an
1: acre, no. over $300 million yeah. because it's selling you the it's sky.
2: Probably, probably 40,000, 38,000 feet just shy of an acre, yeah unbelievable Listen, you're gonna pay well you know jay knows better than anybody but i buy commercial land all the time uh i i bought a site recently um on mccall behind the mount sinai hospital south of college i paid 20, uh 23.75 million for 147 by 117 oh, that's the wow yeah. well that's
1: and marketing. so i was gonna say talk that's about that's
2: just, my, my my house that sits on a 46 by 147 lot so that's Two times my lot for how much money? Well, you know I stole that. That that said, I could probably sell today. <laughs> you for, I'll
5: sell to you for half price. Two well, the Kingsway. Come on, yeah, we could we could probably set that up right now. We want to take it out to the market. Come on, but, Jay, let's broker this deal. But the other, uh, just to, to get the other side of the coin, um, and here is something that policy has done to us, and and I think in the first segment we talked about you know buyer restrictions and and those. Well, the government did that to the development community ten years ago with places to grow and and the green belt and all those policies that we've talked about on this show before. But I'll give you a perfect example. If you're willing to drive an hour north, Wolf, and you're worried about that price per acre, I could sell you 100 acres for 30000 an acre. And you can build on it.
1: You know, we have a place up in Minden, our family. It's was worth, on a good day, 1500 bucks an acre. Today, $1,000 an acre. So 100 acres so, for hundred grand.
5: So it's 10,000 times less valuable, or, or the site downtown that we just referenced is 10,000 times more valuable per acre.
2: Well, hmm. and the reason for that is that that, that site that we just talked about, in Yorkville, uh, 33 Yorkville, I think is the address, uh, they sold out 1,000 units at 1,500 a foot. So it's a $1.5 billion project sold out with a $300 million piece of land. That guy's going to make uh, probably 20 points. He's going to make $300 million bucks.
1: Unbelievable. Look, I want
2: to talk to you guys about
1: supply, uh, but once again, we're going to pay the man right after this.
2: Stay with us. There's
1: more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto.
0: Same mistake.
2: It's been a long
6: time
0: running. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Hi-Fi
1: Radio... Jack Hartle in the studio, Brad Lamb, Jay Child, your host, Wolfgang Klein. Of course, tribute to Gore Downey today, all through the show of Hi-Fi Radio. Um, Jay, Brad, we spoke about prices. Let's talk about supply. And this is the one that really gets me, because I've traveled Canada. by car, kids in the back, and you just when you drive through this country of ours, province to province, you, you, you just can't get over how big it is. And there's a lot of forests and a lot of trees and lots of open space. And yet we have these green belts here in this province that I think they restrict supply, elevating prices to the point where, well, people can't afford uh, loans at regular banks. They have to do what's called shadow banking mm-hmm. uh, to, to get financing. Uh, so let's talk about supply. Is it restrictive?
5: Yes. It's, uh, I mean, irrefutable. They, uh, the policy environment that governs the development industry, and, and you know, I know Brad's going to ch- jump in on this because he's dealing with it. Um, it's driven prices. It's restricted supply, and and that's inevitable. There's more competition for very few sites. Like in Manhattan,
1: I get it. Right, you got a land. You're, you're you're restricted. In Japan, I get it. In that's, Canada, it's artificial. A supply it's, issue. It's artificial. The artificial green belt is what they've created, right?
5: Well, and and it goes beyond that. It goes beyond the green belt because then you have within each municipality you have what's called a development boundary, an urban settlement area, and there's different variations of it. And you can be on one side of it or the other, and it could be the difference between being a farm and having really the essential, the ability to generate no revenue. And this is what what we're going to talk about. The, the value of your real estate is only dictated solely by the revenues you can get from mm-hmm. it. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so you have these artificial lines that are next to impossible to move. And so, what it's caused, and what it, what we're going to start to see with this secondary market for borrowing for homeowners now, like we talked about in the first segment, is developers have have been doing that. They've been climbing over each other, and they've been going to secondary, you know, secondary tiers of financing and tertiary tiers of financing. And we're going to start to see that some of those are the, the only sites that are going to turn over soon.
1: What about you, Brad? In terms of uh, finding land to uh, put up a billion dollar building?
2: Well, I mean, I think I think the issue we have. <clears throat> in uh, in 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 the world is is that and, and so why did why was a green belt created? It was created because the province panicked about urban sprawl, mm-hmm. uh, and it is an artificial boundary that's that's forcing Canadians to think about the, their future. and And the future is unfortunately, we cannot continue to uh, have these highways with su- suburbs. Uh, tacked onto them. We we need to live downtown. We need to have a very large, vibrant downtown. Uh, And it is the future. And so human beings aren't going to do it unless they're forced to by the government. That's why it was done. It was just basically, we can't manage our own affairs, so the government's going to do it for us. They created this artificial boundary to force people downtown. Hmm. And that is the future of every city in the world. We cannot have uh, these these traveling distances of an hour and a half to two hours from people going from work to home. It's just not feasible for anyone's lifestyle or for the environment. Correct. So downtown, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's become impossible to find land because there's been so much development. Uh, land prices are going higher. Condo prices are going higher. The, the experience of seeing prices fall in the suburbs is unique to that area in the city, we just sold a 389-square-foot apartment with multiple offers for $403,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it went in a day. That's 1050 a, a, a foot for a suite that's a tube with a buried kind of bedroom. Uh, and it's getting worse because uh, the, uh, the province has killed the OMB, and the city is doing everything they can to kill development.
1: Unbelievable. But no, 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 let's stick with supply, because a, a, a friend of mine's father said to me, said, Wolfie, hey, you buy yourself some real, real estate because the good Lord's not making any more land. Yes, I get that. Condos, <clears throat> they continue to pop up. So, in, t- in terms of the supply, is there any kind of constraints on the amount of new units hitting market to again maintain pricing?
2: Yeah, it's it's over. Like, so the, there's there's no low hanging fruit. It's gone. Every single piece of property, I know the city like the back of my hand. I know every piece that's owned by everybody. It's all gone. It's not in the hands of anyone anymore who's not developing it. There's nothing left.
1: How, how, how many people own the, land, the, the The available land in Toronto, European like, like, core, big chunks.
2: There's probably fifty players in the city. That fifty. Own- Fifty players in the city, big big players. And then, sorry sorry, Jay, over to the
1: province on a provincial level, because I was told once it's about six families who who control the bulk of the land in in the province. Is that
5: true? Yeah, you could probably draw lines to six, but I mean it's very similar. I mean, in the low rise in the subdivision, what what we all think of subdivision development, you're going to be looking at you know ten companies probably control sixty or seventy percent of the marketplace.
1: Unbelievable. What about apartments? Um, uh, supply of apartment uh, buildings. Jack and I uh, own a few apartment REITs every now and then, and tenancy occupancy is, what, 98%, they are
3: definitely not building a whole lot of new apartments in Toronto. I but but I heard, in fact, there, they they,
1: were a, there are they a few were coming up, right? They were about to. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so pipe in on this one, Brad. You got a Listen, point I, on had, f-
2: I had five or six or seven. I had one in Hamilton, one in Ottawa, uh, one in uh, Edmonton, and I had uh, – uh, three or four downtown, all my Ontario apartment buildings have been canceled. We're not doing them. Mm-hmm. And anyone I know who's in my industry has canceled tell so 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 why are not doing, why 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 aren't you doing them. Well, because of rent controls. And, rent and controls. what did you do with those sites now then, Brad? Condo, condos. So it's going to be condos or hotels or, or office buildings. They will not be rental buildings. And it's a shame because finally, in, you know, for, finally in the last few years, you could make sense economically of building an apartment building. And then the premier killed it. It's done. Put a gun to it. Pfft. There's no mm-hmm. more apartments. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be some. There's a there's a company out of uh, London that's going to be doing, trying to do a big project down uh, in the federal building. You know, the, the old tax building. They're trying to do a thousand units there. These are the kind of people that don't. You know, they're long term, hundred year thinkers. Those guys will do it. But any REIT or or pension fund that needs to get a six percent return or eight percent return their money, they're not going to do it in Toronto anymore.
1: Canada Pension just bought, bought some coal assets. Interesting, are in coal. Hmm. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, CBRE Vice President Jay Child was in the studio with us, along with Brad Lamb, entrepreneur and very handsome billboard model, shall we say. Coming up next, a trip to the New York Stock Exchange to speak with our friend Tommy Turner. Can't wait to hear the accent right after this. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto.
0: if you want me to for the love of money hi-fi radio with wolfgang klein talk radio am 640 it's kind of what i do if you're prepared here's what i to we miss him
1: gord Downey, eh makes me cry anyways it is a tribute to Tragically Hip and Gord Downey, and that is scared. And uh, my good friend Tommy Turner, live from the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, Tommy, are you scared with Dow 23,000?
4: No, not at all, not at all. Kind of looking forward to see what the next few months bring us.
1: Yeah. Well, um, yeah you know, so, so Tommy Turner, he's a floor broker dealer uh, with, with firm ENJ Securities. So uh, I, I bumped into Tommy, uh, boys and girls, uh, a couple years ago when I was in New York and I got in front of the stock exchange and this uh, handsome man was walking across. Well, he's actually running. They all run in New York, running to a sandwich shop and he had a, a badge on his uh, apron. And I said, I think that guy works on the floor of the Stock Exchange. So as he ran by me, I stopped. and said, hey, do you work for the New York Stock Exchange? He said, yeah, I do. Where are you from? I said, I'm Canadian uh, for an oil conference. And so Tommy Turner was gracious enough and so kind enough to say, Do you want to tour the exchange? I'll give you a personal tour. And uh, oh, such thanks. he did. And it was just so wonderful. So th- that just sets the stage for Tommy Turner, who is not scared. But uh, Tommy, what did catch our attention when I met you, and I, we, made, we, we spoke with your, your former partner last week. I want to get you back on. But uh, yeah. when I met you, he so said, Wolfie, there was about 5,500 employees on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange some 10, 15 years ago, and now you're Correct. down to about 350 guys like you.
4: Well, 350 floor brokers like myself, plus a clerical staff, which are bringing a total up to about five, 550 to 600 people in all between technology uh, exchange employees and so on. But the, uh, unfortunately, that number has gone down in time because of the advanced technology that's uh, taken a grip on the trading floor. Mm-hmm. But uh, guys like myself, we feel that uh, we've evolved with the technology. We we, we have no choice but to learn all the systems that are in place and try to be, you know, to be competitive with what's in front of us in order to stay, stay afloat and stay in, stay in business.
1: So, so, Tommy, look, uh, here, here in Toronto, we, we no longer have an open outcry, uh, and you understand the, the interworkings of, 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 of flow better than I do. Uh, but when I enter an order up here in Canada to trade in the New York, on the Canadian Stock Exchange, um, it doesn't touch any bodies. It's, it goes from my trading desk directly to the exchange, I believe, and, and my order is filled. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange sure. operates that way as well, but as Jack indicated last week, Open outcry does remain. So where do you fit yeah. into the equation? Why use a guy like you to execute trade?
4: It does. Uh, on the other side of that trade, where guys like yourself will enter orders automatically, and they get routed directly to the trading post for execution versus using a floor broker, an actual human being, so sort to of say to where we still, you know, like I said, we've evolved with the technology that's in place. Um, We can handle all kinds of order flow. Uh, We we have access to all the the, the, uh, markets out there, the 58 different venues. We can touch on all the markets. We can access all trading strategies that are within the algorithms that we have in place that we have access to. Um, Obviously, we had to be cost-effective along the way. And we, we, take it, we, we feel we add value in the different strategies and the different things that we offer our
1: customers. Well, let, let me ask this question. What do you think of the stock market right here, right now?
4: Well, the market, like you said, we, we've talked about this the other day, you and I, Wolf and Jack, too. The market's incredible right now. I mean, it's at an all-time high of 23, too. We're having another great day. The market's up uh, 120-some-odd points. Again, there are a lot of moving parts with that, a lot of, a lot of factors. Uh, it's Talk about our president. First of all, he's—you know—a lot of people have different opinions on him, but he's trying his best to uh pass a bunch of different things, like tax cuts, tax reform, um a corp- corporate, the health reform bill that he has on the table. Uh, yeah, they're calling some of it
1: Trumpflation. That's the new word, a Trumpflation. Yeah,
4: yeah. We call it the Trump rally. We're we're in the middle of a of a real strong Trump rally. Hey, look. The S and P is over sixty six hundred. Wolf, there was a time back when breaking. You mean twenty? Sir, you mean twenty
1: six? You mean twenty six hundred for the S and P?
4: The, the S and P, yes,
1: yeah. twenty six hundred. 26 Yeah.
4: No, the S and P five hundred average.
1: Yes, twenty six hundred.
4: Twenty six. We we thought you know that would never see this level either. Right. You know. And obviously, the, the the markets could use, if you ask me personally, I think the markets could use a correction, a healthy correction, sure. of anywhere from 10 to 15% to get a little bit more order flow going. A lot of people feel that the, uh, you know, yeah, another thing, you and I touched on low interest rates. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the low interest rates that are out there right now, is it still a strong, uh, a fueling a strong demand? But no, so stop right
1: there, Tom, because here's, here's a question, now, Jack and I, it's burning into his tongue as well. Low interest rates is causing a creation of credit funds who are borrowing money to buy more debt, and that debt is being used to finance corporate share buyback. And we have one theorist who thinks the entire rally is due to share buybacks based on easy money. What do you think of that one?
4: That could be. That could very well be. But again, we spoke, I spoke earlier about the, uh, the pending tax reform that President Trump has in place. Yeah. Corporate earnings are another thing right now. Yeah, they're good. That are really, corporate earnings are doing great mm-hmm. right now. There's also talk of uh, a replacement. Janet Yellen, you know, the head of the Federal Reserve.
0: Right,
1: right.
4: There's talk there's talk of actually replacing her. And a lot of people feel that will that will keep if, if that happens, the easy money policy in place might might Could be gone impact. And And also Sorry the Easy Money if Janet
1: Levin, sorry, I apologize to interrupt here. To if 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 Yellen leaves, will we still be on an easy money policy or will we get tighter? We don't know, obviously. That's, that's, depends who they really bring of in. Of course, yeah. That, that's the yeah. Look, to, Tommy, hang around because you understand this, pal. You're, you're in America. It's all about you know, marketing. So we are got to pay the man around here with a few spots. Uh, hey, it's free radio. Listen to a few spots, good, good uh, advertisers. And uh, Tommy turned to life in New York Stock Exchange is going to be standing by to share more with what goes on the floor of the exchange right after this.
0: I want money.
1: Stay with us. There's more shows still to come.
0: That's
6: what I want.
1: You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. That's what I want.
0: For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein, Talk Radio AM640.
1: Uh, good morning, Canada. Hi-Fi Radio AM 640. Jack Hartle, my co-host. Wolfgang Klein, your host. And a tribute, of course, to the Tragically Hips, Gord Downie. Uh, Canada, we'll miss him. Uh, gift shop, speaking about the pendulum swinging. Uh, one, year, one day, Jack is going to get me a pendulum for the office. Uh, maybe Christmas, maybe my birthday, but I've been looking forward to getting a pendulum. Because it's, it's a wonderful reminder how asset prices will swing like a pendulum. They won't sit in the middle at fair value. They will go from undervalued to overvalued. And many people right now think the pendulum has gone to the right and getting a little overvalued. Tommy Turner, live from New York Stock Exchange, is um, baffled and behooved as the Dow surpasses 23,000 points. Aren't you, Tommy? I am.
4: Everybody's trying to figure out what's what's driving this market. Obviously, there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of things in place that keep pushing this market higher. But along the way, hopefully all of us are enjoying the the, you know, the rise in price of our portfolios.
3: <laughs> hey, Tommy, it's Jack here. I just, I'm just i looking at a headline, and it says, The stock market punishes anyone who dares to sell. So anyone who's selling or short this market, um, obviously they're having a difficult time. Uh, we as portfolio managers, we're having a difficult time with clients that give us new money, you know, when to get them in. I'm just wondering, what, your, what are your clients down in New York? Uh, what are they up to? Um, you know, are they getting longer, or are they sitting on the sidelines, or what, what are they doing with their cash?
4: From what I'm hearing, uh, Jack, is quite a few of the guys, and particularly the hedge funds, where most of my, my you know, institutional guys get their order flow or their, their, their money from, hedge funds are kind of sitting on a lot of cash, not quite sure which direction this market's going to go. Um, nobody wants to really pay the top of, of these prices, these current yeah. prices of all these stocks. And at the same time, nobody wants to be selling because they feel the market continues to go higher they feel they can do better. So it's kind of like a, a, a catch-22. They're stuck in the middle, and they're kind of, like I said, a lot, of, a lot of cash sitting on the side. But it's going to be very interesting when this, if and when this cash comes into the market. If it does, like I said earlier, if uh, President Trump is able to pass his tax reform, tax cuts, health reform, and so on, that the market will even go continue to go, possibly they're talking maybe another 5 to 10% higher on top of these prices. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So a lot of wait and see.
3: I just say that 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 cash is just like uh, fuel for the fire. Some dry powder just sitting on the sidelines right now, I guess. There, eh?
4: Absolutely. That's that's so, what I hear at least.
3: Yeah. And these hedge funds, they must be underperforming the the passive indexes if they're uh, sitting on the sidelines with their cash. So how how are they dealing with that?
4: I did read that also in, in the New York Times the other day. How the actual most of the hedge funds uh, there's actually surveys and they they monitor these guys on how they are actually underperforming. Believe it or not, you would think with the with the levels that the markets at they. Their portfolios and their results should be through the roof, but that's not the case because you know, you're sitting in cash, you're out of the market, sort of say, and they, they, obviously they missed out on quite a bit of opportunity. So it's a lot of wait and see, like yeah. I said. So
1: If you're just tuning in, that, this is Hi-Fi Radio, AM640, and we are live with the New York Stock Exchange. Our good friend, Tommy Turner, is on the phone sharing with us. How many years have you been in the business, Tommy?
4: I've been at 37 years.
1: 37 years of, of wisdom on, on the New York Stock Exchange. So you've, you've seen yeah. a few changes in your career, eh, pal? Say it again? Sorry. You've seen a few changes in your career, haven't you?
3: Absolutely. So I would say we Absolutely. just had the we just had the 30th anniversary of Black Monday. So you were you were involved with the stock exchange back then?
1: I was here.
4: I was actually here that day. We survived it. And you know, back then, I think the Dow was somewhere around the 2,200 level. If many people can't imagine that, mm-hmm. and we were down 508 points, which was the equivalent of a make like a 20 percent turn. Um, it was hectic because there was no automation back then. Everything was done out of hand, sort to say open outcry market, and the correction of that day you know, we were talking about just the other day, friends of mine, how that would be the equivalent of the today 's market being down almost five thousand points if you could imagine that but again it would take it would take grip differently because of the technology in place, but still it would be a major. Major turn. Hey, you know,
1: Jack and I never witnessed an '87 crash. I was still in school. Uh, Jack was a twinkling mummy's eye, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, uh, look, uh, we, Jack and I did witness in uh, 2000 from uh, a investor's point of view. And of course, as as professionals, Jack and I participated in the 2002, the 2007, 2008 uh, correction. But the one that stands out to me is that flash crash uh, that happened. What year was that? 2011. I think it was 2011. Two, yeah, and yeah and it, that day the market imploded 11. about a thousand Dow points. I guess 1,200. Points in, in about a day, five minutes in yeah. about five minutes. So, so Tommy, what what happened that day, and, and, and what prevents the eighty seven options driven crashes to really occur so rarely? Uh,
4: right, a lot of you know a lot of people. Well, initially when technology took took a grip here in two thousand, really like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, the markets became electronic, an electronic trading platform. A lot of, there were a lot of concerns for that, and that, that one day, like you said, that flash crash in particular, there was a couple of different instances which, which triggered that. And like you said, in just a, a short time, the market was down eight or 900 points in a flash, like a flash crash in a mm-hmm. flash. So sort of say, but what prevented that from even continuing going lower was the human element. It, mm-hmm. which, which we still brag about, that still has a major, major factor, that there were specialist units at the actual stock exchange and a couple of the specialist units knew to shut down whole trading in certain names of of the bigger names in mm-hmm. the stocks. And, and, and that's essentially which led to the market shutting down momentarily um, to prevent it from even going lower. So without the human element there in place, the, that flash crash could have been twice as bad or maybe even worse. So. You know, we, we there are advantages, major advantages to having people still exist on the trading floor. And that was one prime example of, of humans, so to say, preventing a major catastrophe.
1: Yeah, well, that's exactly it. And, and Jack just handed me a note here because a good story in the Bloomberg Magazine this month stating that in 87, the stuff that got hit the most was the big liquid stuff, the stuff people could sell. Uh, so, they, so all the blue chip stocks. Uh, unbelievable. Sometimes yep. eh? something you got to sell what uh, to, to protect your assets. you got to sell, sell what, what, you what you can. can. Yeah, yep. no, not what you want to sell. Uh, Tom, Tommy enough Turner, enough and look, an absolute yeah. pleasure, man. Can, can, you, can you do me a favor? Can you promise you're going to come back on the air with us one more time? I would love to. Now, you got to do me one more favor. Say, Jack, Jack wants Art Cashin's uh, autograph. Can you get that for Jack?
4: <laughs> I will, and I'm also going to send you Art Cashin's daily newsletter. i got to get you a copy of that. He puts out a daily newsletter that's quite interesting. You should we'll, we'll, send we'll, that to it, us, yeah. yeah.
3: we'll take all the market intelligence that we can get. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. The more info,
1: uh, the better. Right, guys? All right, all right man. T- Tommy Turner, floor broker with E&J Securities, Life, New York Stock Exchange. An absolute pleasure. You have yourself a good week. And my man. I just
4: want to say thank you. Thank you, Wolf. Thank you, Jack, for the opportunity. You are very, well, thanks, very Tommy. welcome,
1: Tommy. All right. Folks, how much should you have saved by your current age? Mike Bellamy is going to answer that question for you. Lickety split. We're just going to pay the man. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto.
0: Yeah, that's awful close, that's not why. I'm so hard done by for the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640.
1: Uh, Welcome back. Yes, tribute to Gore Downey, tragically hip. So hard done by. Woe is me. Mike Bellamy on the line, Financial Planner with Canaccord here to join us just to Help us understand how much money we need to have set for retirement. So, Mike, uh, you and I are going to work alongside a good report that came out of our partner, Fidelity Investments, um, highlights that in a retirement study, and they state, in terms of saving for retirement, everyone listen to this, it's important, by the age of 30, you should have one year's income saved up. So if you're 30 and you make, say, 30,000 bucks, you should have by that time in your life have 30,000 bucks saved up. By the time you're 40, you should have three times your income saved up. So if your income when you're 40 is now $50,000 a year, you should have saved $150,000. By age 55, seven times your income. And by the time you head into retirement, they say you should have 10 to 12 times your income set aside for retirement. So let's just say you're making $100,000 the year you retire, you should have over a million dollars put aside for your retirement plan. I think those are very, very um, uh, poignant facts that uh, Fidelity came up with. Mike, do you think they're realistic?
6: I I think so. Based on the amount of plans we do for our clients, etc., I think those numbers are are fairly realistic i mean speaking with jack before um you know the one thing we do have concerns about is you know that doesn't count those things like the rainy day fund or setting aside money for kids' education and that type of thing. But I think it's a very good, you know, back of the napkin type number Mm -hmm. that uh, the clients should look at as kind of, you know, if they're thinking in their head, you know, are we close, are we behind? um, I think it's a good number to start with for sure. Yeah,
3: I think it's at least a starting point. Uh, Most people Mm -hmm. have no idea what they would need to save. Um, But I think the important thing is that these numbers, the one times, two times, three times, seven times number of your income, doesn't happen overnight. Uh, You need to have discipline. Uh, You need to save regularly for those types of things. Uh, It doesn't just magically disappear. And I think that's probably one of the things that, uh, you know, we as advisors help our clients with the most is uh, setting up a financial plan and and showing them how they can regularly save and uh, Mm -hmm. to achieve their goals.
1: Well, because here's two points in the study, Mike and Jack, uh, that that caused me concern. Basically, 25% of pre-retirees expect an inheritance to become part of their retirement plan, and number two, basically half of people expect to use the equity in their house to support retirement. Uh, I don't know how you can eat bricks and mortar unless you get involved in a, in, in a reverse mortgage and start to put debt back on the balance sheet. And I don't think that's the best. It can be very outcome. costly. too. It can yeah. be very yeah. costly. So what else? What else stood? Uh, what else stood out to you, Mike, in the in the uh, in the uh, research from Fidelity?
6: Yeah, like those those two points, definitely is some concern for me. I mean, especially with that 50 percent plan to use equity in their home. I mean, you know, you look at the baby boomers right now. A lot of them want to downsize, but still have four bedrooms. <laughs> uh, right. They want to have. You know, my my mom keeps telling me she wants to downsize, but she wants to keep four bedrooms for. She like, knows like, you're
1: gonna move days. back home one day, Mike. Don't yeah, kid yeah, yourself, exactly. pal. She knows yeah, you're coming exactly. back. <laughs> it's a long time coming,
6: eh? Yeah, exactly. So, when we're running plans, we tend to so we less of the clients telling us, you know, they sold their home and they are actually downsizing. We try to to use their liquid assets to get them out to retirement because, I mean, in, you know, in the market right now with the prices houses are at, you know, downsizing might not mean cost. It may mean just size, right? So um, those are things. We, we Jack and I have
1: seen for. that. We've seen clients. Sorry, Mike. Uh, we've seen yeah. clients make lateral moves in terms of net dollars, but, but cut back on, on square footage. Uh, yeah. In other words, the net cost is the same. They didn't they didn't pull any net equity out, yet they downsize the square footage that they're sitting in, uh, yeah. and, the, and the tax rate's the same. I don't see the benefit. And, to and it. they
3: pay the land transfer, in between. and they
1: pay the land transfer, <laughs> and the brokerage. So I think you got to be very careful if you're going to stay in market and try to do a lateral move. It may not work out. If you switch For- markets and move to say Bob Cajun, and we can't get to that song unfortunately in today's <laughs> show, but you can maybe downsize. Here's another one. Twenty-eight percent of retirees, Mike, still have mortgage debt. Like, how do, how does debt at a retirement age fit into a financial plan?
6: Yeah, so that's that's one of our biggest concerns. That we try to, and that's why we've been, you know, suggesting to clients start these financial plans earlier. We need to to figure out ways to make sure that there's no debt on the books when you hit retirement, because that's a huge drain on cash flow. I mean, for the majority of Canadians, I mean, that's you know anywhere from thirty to forty, fifty percent of cash flows go into these mortgages. Mm-hmm. So they have to carry a mortgage in retirement. That's just, you know, that's a huge drain on your funds. And that's also something you can't cut back if needs to be. So, you know, if we you know hit a downturn in the market and you need to cut back spending, you can't cut back your mortgage, right? Those payments are fixed payments that you got to make on a monthly or a biweekly basis. So that's one thing that we definitely want to make sure that, um, you know, I'd like to see that number lower. Unfortunately, it's still pretty high. And, you know, Fidelity puts this, uh, this piece out once a year, and this number's actually gone up a little bit since uh, from previous years. So um, that's a bit of a concern for me. The other concern was, the, you know, they mentioned 27% of uh, the people they surveyed had financial plans. Mm-hmm. That means, you know, 75% of the other people had never even sat down to do a financial plan. And these, you know, the median age on this survey was 57 years old. So for me, that's, you know, that's a concern that people aren't even, you know, are they either burying their head in the sand or just not even – you know, thinking about these type of things, which you know they need to sit down and actually start to hash out a plan if they're going to be comfortable during retirement.
3: I was going to say you do a lot of financial plans for our clients, and um, obviously some clients, like you said, have to get on track and they see that in a financial plan. But I think uh, it gives people a lot of peace of mind knowing that they're going to be okay with some of the financial plans that you do, and I think that comes out in the survey too. So it's mm-hmm. important, you know, for clients to you know road out the next, you know, could be 25, 30 years of retirement when they're no longer working. And I think uh, you do obviously do a great job of that for our clients.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the final. Point- point that I want to make to to this here is we spoke about how much you should be saving, how much should you be spending is another big, big question. Because again, it's all about longevity. We don't want you to outlive your money. Uh, Again, it comes up with the statistics, average expectancy, life expectancy is about 82. So the magic number that they seem to come up with is don't spend any more than four to 5% of your capital or net uh, net equity that you have saved up. Uh, That should then take you to, uh, well, well, same yeah, same place, gorgeous. I guess, eh? Yeah, exactly. I guess so. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, that, the, the yeah, the great stage in the sky, shall we say?
6: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that um, yeah, that four four to five percent number is a pretty accurate number. I mean. Uh, you know, the one thing I do I've been suggesting to clients is, you know, you need to practice retirement, you know, before just going all of a sudden, you know, moving from.
1: I do that on Wednesdays. In. I take yeah. Wednesdays off. <laughs> 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 yeah. Mike, we got to we got to once again pay the man, my good man, and okay, it was right. a tribute to tragically hip Gord Downey today, pal. So thank you for joining us on that front. You're a big hip fan. You know, Luke, our, our producer was saying that there was a classic rock station in Kingston that did five continuous days of nonstop hip, and of course, the town of Kingston has been mourning. I guess a whole lot more than all the rest of us, but uh, we all do Miss Gord and, uh, well, an absolute staple on uh, Canadian rock and roll. And, in fact, that was the first live concert I took my love, Kathleen, to at the concert hall on Young, uh, Young and uh, the, just, just north of Bloorceyville concert hall. Oh, boy, what a great show that was. I, I date myself once again, but that's Hi-Fi Radio for you folks. Another week under the belt, very much a privilege of ours to be here with you on Saturday mornings. We'll be back next week. been listening to hi-fi radio
0: with wolfgang klein and jack hartle portfolio managers at canaccord genuity wealth management for questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered email wolf and jack at wolfgangklein.com. for the podcast of today's show go to 640 toronto.com new shows every week hi-fi
6: radio for the love of money we'll see you next week